Welcome to Saltgrass, a show about how local communities can engage with the climate crisis at a grassroots level. My name is Ali Hanley. In this episode, we head back out to Mildura and have a chat with a bunch of folk who were helping with a working bee at their local eco-village. As you may remember, Mildura is 400 kilometres or so north of my hometown in Castlemaine. I went out there in March with my friend Trace Bella, who you might remember from the recent episode Cycling Together. Trace was there to visit her son, and I was there to see what was happening up in that part of the world. As mentioned in the recent episode The Mallee, the Murray and the Mare, Mildura interests me on several levels. Firstly, the climate there is similar to what is projected for the Castlemaine region as climate change increases, so that's interesting to me. And of course, there's this huge boom in solar farms and renewable energy that's happening up there as well. So when we got up there, we found a dog-friendly camping site, which was right on the river, with a wide, lovely, sandy beach leading to the water. There were walking tracks stretching in both directions and trees and bush all around. So when you were there, you'd never really guess that it was only a five-minute drive from the city centre. So the bird sounds you can hear now are from that campground first thing in the morning. It's the dawn chorus recorded while I was lying in bed in my tent. The interview with the city officials you heard in the previous Mildura episode was a great overview of the region, the particular issues they face and what is being attempted from a policy and government perspective. The other side of that coin is, of course, what regular folk are doing up in Mildura at a grassroots level, which is really what Soulgrass is all about. So today's episode is a series of interviews collected when Trace and I went to check out the local eco-village. We'd heard they were having a working bee and thought we might get a sense of the site and what goes on there. And interestingly, the site is managed by council, so I wasn't sure how community-driven it was going to be. However, as you'll hear, every person there that day was volunteering their time to help out and many of them were also involved in other local action groups. So we're not only going to hear about the eco-village in today's episode, but we'll also hear about the Sunraysia Sustainability Network and Around Again, which is the Mildura Waste Repair and Reclamation sort of tip shop, and also Greening Mildura and others. And links to all of those groups can, of course, be found in the show notes at saltgrasspodcast.com. As regular listeners will know, I always acknowledge country at the start of every episode. So today I'd like to acknowledge the Jaja Wurrung, whose land I live on and where this episode has been edited and released from. And I'd also like to acknowledge the First Nations people of the Milawa Mallee, up where these interviews were recorded. People and language groups in and around that area include the Bakenji, the Lachi Lachi, the Wagaya and the Karenji. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. Sovereignty was never ceded. Salt, salt, of the earth people. Grassroots change. Salt grass. Listen to all episodes of Saltgrass on your podcast app or at saltgrasspodcast.com. Trace and I arrived at the eco-village on a sunny morning and one of the first things I noticed were the beautiful mosaic signs, which I found out later, were made by participants of the Christie Centre. So the Christie Centre is a registered disability provider offering various services for individuals with a disability in the Loddon Mallee region and they're centrally located in Mildura. 
And the first interview I have for you today is with Krista Johnson, who works for the Christie Centre. It's a bit confusing, a guy called Krista working for an organisation called Christie. <laughs> but he gave us a bit of a tour of the place and it became clear just how involved the Christie Centre is on many levels in their community. They not only have helped with the eco-village, but they also run the tip shop around again which I mentioned just before and some of their participants have done TAFE level courses so for those not in Australia who are listening TAFE is basically a higher education with different levels of certification historically based in sort of the trades but it's it's quite broad now what you can learn via the TAFE system. So several of the Christie Centre's participants have been through TAFE courses and done projects both at the Eco Village and around again. And, and those mosaics were done by participants of the Christie Centre. That's why I explained all of that. Now, Krista is able to explain all of these connections as we wandered around the Eco Village site. And the Eco Village is modelled after a place called Ceres, which is a famous eco hub in the inner north of Melbourne. At Ceres, they have community gardens, bike workshops, education, markets, and many community building initiatives. So up in Mildura at the Mildura Eco Village, they also have many examples of eco-friendly building techniques. They have two buildings. One is a newly built structure and another one is a retrofit, which is an old house that's been brought in and then upgraded in terms of its energy efficiency. And they also have community gardens, educational programs, can host events and have a hand-built wood-fired pizza oven, which was built as a workshop and then now gets used for events. So it's quite a beautiful, diverse place. There were meandering paths and lots of different zones. And what you'll hear through this interview with Krista is him pointing different things out to us about the eco-village as we discuss many different things that have been happening in that local community. So let's start with Krista. He works at the Christie Centre, but he's also the chairperson of the Sunraysia Sustainability Network. And after this chat with Krista, we'll catch up with a couple of other people who have also been involved in different climate-related action groups in Mildura. Here's Krista. So you're the chairperson of the Sunraysia Sustainability Network. How long has that been running and how did it form? I started about 10 years ago where a couple of people from outside town approached uh, the council about doing something on a long-term basis. It's sort of based on the, yeah, the service system done in, in Melbourne, which had an eco-village, and so they started with the same sort of concept here. And council came on board very quickly. Mark Jenkins for council, who runs the whole landfill site. This was a great idea. So they worked on this for a number of years behind the scenes, and then they formed SSN, so you get some key stake people involved, yep. which is council, obviously, yep. which is fantastic. TAFE yep. and the Christie Centre, whom I work for. Oh, it's a not-for-profit yeah, disability organisation at times. It's been around for about 60 years. Yeah, We also run the site across the road, the Arandigan site. Yeah. So we're already on site. We're already into recycling and reuse and repurposing. So we were a, a perfect organisation to work with because we're here. So yeah. yeah, so for a number of years, talks sort of ensued and they put started planning, but obviously like all things, money rules. So eventually they applied for funding for this building here, the education centre, and they got some, we got a fair bit of money for that. And so built a environmentally friendly house. And that was just the start of, and so we can have a meeting place. And then eventually we got this house across the paddock here from, 
transport on site and TAFE and their students did like a retrofit. We want to show the, com the community yeah. that you can take a house and we can do quite a few things with it. Yeah. And then we established the gardens here. Quite a lot of plantings have been happening. And we've got a community garden as well. People can plant and pick as they want. And, yeah. and about 40 planter beds so people can rent for the year and grow in their own veggies. Yeah, so we're trying to be a location for the environmental law sustainability. We realize we can't change the whole world and it's a long-term process. Probably the main thing is that we have about a thousand students per year that come. All the schools come here, primary to senior, and they used to come here and they meet a council person and they talk and they go for a wander, have a look at the landfill, and also at the Randigans to learn all about the recycling, repurposing, etc. So it's it's quite exciting, but it is a long-term project. It's not going to happen in five minutes. Yeah. So we had a number of phases. Initial was obviously the planning and then trying to get funding. And then when it was then being built, we had the establishment phase. And now we've been the last few years just consolidating what we have, trying to make things grow. And we're trying to increase the spread of who comes here. This may sound strange, but we take this in, in a good sense. But the greenies, hmm, people who are envi environmental friendly, they know what to do. Then you have all the people on the outside, so the great mass, the grey mass. They're the ones we need to get to, because people who are already on the inside, they know how to save the planet. Mm. The rest of us don't, and I count myself on being slightly on the outside. There's always people right on the periphery which will never get involved. So we need to spread into the community slowly and get people involved. And mm. there's been a quite a big change. Probably sounds wrong the way I explain it, but that's how I see it because the movement's been going for so long, but it's always been sort of marginal or being on, on the fringes, but that's becoming mainstream now, so it's quite exciting, especially with climate change, which all the greenies foresaw 40 years, 50 years ago, and there's, there's even now governments who still can't see it. So, <laughs> yeah. And so we, we can't save the world, but we can do our bit, yeah. and slowly, and especially if we can educate kids so that when they grow up, they take that with them and then they can show their kids and it's just I think and council must be commended because they have a long-term vision for this yep. they gave us seven acres of land here at the landfill yep. and uh, it's it's amazing it's really cool yeah it looks beautiful you've got so many plants and beautiful pathways leading between zones and it doesn't feel at all like it's on landfill site <laughs> no not at all we even have a play group that come here twice a week the mulberry tree play group and there wouldn't be many landfills in the industrialized world that would have a play group at it i, I realize unfortunately there are probably lots of kids in the world who have to play at landfills because they have no other option yeah. but here two mornings a week and you've got about 30 families that come down yeah. and so they play with sort of natural things and then we can see across to the landfill yeah. it doesn't smell because it's a really well managed landfill i mean i spent 10 years working at the randigan across the road yeah. it was occasionally a dust storm but there's no smell yeah. the hospitals across the road and main road there's, yeah. there's no problem so it is really well managed so tell me a bit more about around again how long ago was that set up and what does it do set up in 2000 council actually adopted a waste management policy and the then CEO at the crisis centre thought, oh, we can do something to create employment. So they approached council saying, we can do something for you. So they actually set up a little shed where people could drop goods off and then sell to the public. So kind of like an op shop, but linked to the landfills. Yeah. And so that worked. And thanks to us being here, 
Council reckon that the landfill will live on for 10 more years. That's how much stuff we can prevent from going into landfill, which is pretty amazing. So a lot of that stuff that people drop off, they would have been taking to landfill just yes. to get rid of it. Yes. And things like tables and chairs and you name it. All the electrical goods get dropped off to around again. They all get checked for if they are safe to use and they work. If so, they get tagged, put into the shop. If not, core gets cut and they get dismantled by our crew. So around again was set up purely to create employment for people with a disability. And there's um, 18 people employed there at the moment, so supported wow. employees. So, it's, so apart from creating employment, it's helping the environment as well. So it's really good. Yeah. And that should actually be a blueprint because council had the concept and sort of side the land. The only problem council say is that they should have given us more land. If they had known, they should have given us a bigger chunk because really where we are, we're quite squashed in. Yeah. And that's really good. So considering so there's only about 50,000 people in Mildura, and if you do 300,000 in income, and that's just, that's pretty good going. You extrapolate that against 25 million people across the country. So every council should look at that, how this is run. And I guess you then get known as having quality stuff that's been checked that people can buy that's not dodgy. Does anything there get repaired? So if it, a chair's got a shaky leg or something, do the people there repair it so it's ready to sell? Yes, we do. We have some volunteers that come in and they glue together furniture, refurbish en small engines like mowers and whippy snippers and we refurbish computers as well. So you've got a guy doing that. So take in, make sure they work and put on freeware, Linux freeware and sell it. So in Castlemaine we have a repair cafe. I don't know if you guys have ever had one out here, but it's a similar concept, but it's only once a month and they don't have the capacity to take and store and on-sell things that get left behind. So this sounds like a really great model. We actually have been thinking of having something similar here. People get some more volunteers, but around again, it's such a good place. That's sort of taken care of anyway. But we are looking for more funding to do more things on site as well. And so, because around again is sort of a business or a not-for-profit business, but still run as a business, but we'd like to do more here as well. And I guess one of the benefits of the Repair Cafe is that one of the principles is that you're teaching people how to repair their own items, so in yes. the future they can do it themselves. Yes. So that really, becomes really important, and then that then feeds back to manufacturers saying you need to make things that can be repaired, not the obsolete item like a printer chuck it away and buy a new one for example it's just such waste yeah. so now we're standing on the veranda of the eco house and it's quite a good view yeah so this house has been built as a demonstration house to show people what they can do yeah. is it to build from scratch or is it a retrofit yeah retrofit so it came in yeah. and were plonked on site and then TAFE got to work on it. So. What was it made of initially? It looks like you've reclad the whole outside. Yeah, it was just a normal sort of fibro, just a, a local house, a, a cheap house, yes. So we like some glazing, some insulation, put a veranda on, just things that people could do at home. Unfortunately, still not enough being done. In terms of retrofitting? Yes, yeah, I think generally so. I mean, I'm still amazed people build brand new houses here with black roofs. That's personally, I think. <laughs> they, I mean, if you're in a hot region, you shouldn't have a black roof. So over here to the right is the community garden, which we might go and have a look in a minute. But basically, anyone can plant there and anyone can actually pick as well. So no one owns anything. All we ask is people come and pick what they need, not what they need for three weeks. So you can come down and pick some capsicum or we've got quite a few rows of strawberries. So every Thursday for a couple of hours we've got two people from the committee. They're here and they greet people and they work and yeah it's such a nice way to go. We've also got a small worm farm as well. So we're trying to get composting. Just received some funding to get a mulcher. 
we can mulch up more of the weed stuff that we have here on site and we can feed that to the worms and been going for almost two two years now the worm farm so we want to show people we show the students that come in but it's also good for enriching the soil that we have and i can see you've got a ginormous rosemary hedge which looks amazing this rosemary hedge was actually planted by students from tafe so there were some participants from the christian center did a three-year cert two course in horticulture modified horticulture as part of that course they struck cuttings and all those cuttings came from the Christie Centre students at TAFE, so a partnership. So Christie Centre working with TAFE, planted, I planted probably seven or eight years ago, they're amazing. So even when I want fresh rosemary for cooking, I zoom down here because it's so rich and so oily. Uh-huh. There's so much of it. I know, if it can take up half a tonne, it wouldn't matter. But it looks really, really does enclose the whole thing quite nicely. Yeah. Creates a little windbreak even. Yes. Yeah. We're going to have a look. Yeah, sure, great. So... We've actually bought a nursery that the Christian Centre has, so those students are working there now. Wow, this is a strawberry patch. Look at that. Yeah, there's more. Wow. It needs a lot of maintaining. These have been hacked back a fair bit. Beautiful. Fresh strawberry. No spraying, of course. No chemical sprays allowed on site. Yeah. So everything's sort of natural. The Burundian community quite strong, quite a small community, but they're quite strong in terms of growing things. I mean, they had some of their extra corn and maize, and they yeah, so they've been they have a number of beds here as well, so they're quite quite involved. They were in this community garden a fair bit last year and the year before, and but they now have also their own farm, mm. which is part of out of out of the box. So that's good to have groups come in. We we're trying to encourage groups to come in. We have been trying to get funding to improve the kitchens and so we do want to do more because we're trying to work with SMEC which is the Economic Ethnic Year Community Year Council here and trying to work with them to get more involvement but they're quite heavily involved in Out of the Box as well. So what is Out of the Box? It was set up by a lady called Deb a number of years ago trying to grow sustainable farming. They've got a number of farms and they sell the boxes online so every Thursday I pick up my medium box and you never know what's in, what's in it, whatever's in season. But it's all biodynamic, all, so all really good and sustainable and so they're fantastic and it's, it's a local. I think they do about probably, I think, 100 boxes a week. So we pay and their farmers get paid and, yeah. and they're also being taught how to grow things so in a better way. So yeah, it's, it's awesome, really, really good. It's a bit oh, every week, oh, what can I cook from this? So yeah. Does improve your cooking skills, can uh-huh. I? Okay, eggplant, all right, okay, oh, this is cool. So it's, it is fantastic and it's, and once again, a organization doing something that is on its own, it's not gonna change the world, but it'll have that same ripple effect. Mm. Just do more and more and more people get involved and young people get involved and realize, okay. And it's actually for $35, this is the medium box. You actually get a lot of veggies, a lot of stuff. So at this point, Trace joins us and she had a few questions of her own to ask Krista. You said you felt a bit hemmed in and if you had more room, I'm wondering what things you would like if you did have more room in, in case it happens somewhere else, if this is a pilot room. Certainly one thing is this community garden could be bigger. So a lot of them are, it's actually waiting list for those planter boxes. And so there's more we can do there and we can probably plant more fruit trees. The problem of course we're on landfill, land, and EPA have certain rules in terms of what can be grown. So everything has to be raised by at least half a metre and so forth. But they certainly do more in that area. 
We do have a couple of acres at the back here which is not being used. Adler, wouldn't mind exploring creating some cycle paths and stuff mm. so people can bring their, their kids and they can do a bit of cycling in quite a safe environment. Yeah, so there's more, so certainly having a bigger one of these community garden and do we can have more people involved and grow more things. Do you ever have gatherings like small groups? Yes, we education house gets rented out to groups. Anyone, any not-for-profit can use it for free. And so we have lots of people that come and use it for, they run seminars and we can also rent it if you're for profit, you can mm -hmm. actually rent it. And it's not, not a massive fee, so people do have workshops and seminars here and then they have it in the eco house as well. So that's quite busy, obviously now with COVID, it sort of stopped, bang, but it's slowly getting back on track and that's quite an important people come down here and go, oh, I had no idea this place existed and, wow. and they'll come back and so I think it's once again, it's slowly slowly because it is just a long term i think changing even though we need to r hurry up a bit with the environment it's not we don't have a long term but because yeah. it's a bit of a hurry to do it but yeah. we can only do what we can do and on that note what do you think of this region and how it's handling climate change i think more can be done sometimes i think people because we do live in a nice place I think people can become complacent that look the town's nice and tidy it's well catered we have there's plenty of water because of the river and water is quite cheap so I think perhaps not everyone thinks about this I think we can certainly do a lot more but once again outside that sort of green area that sort of gray whatever color there may be of and I think that's quite important to could I keep educating I mean, we also auspice other other groups here like Greening Mildura under our sort of, even the self-sustaining, but the auspice by us, so when we have funding application come through us, this now new group called Plastic Free Sunraysia. Great. So started and we, we're auspicing them as well and they've got some funding for a website. So that's really quite exciting and to re reduce that single-use plastic. That's mm. the, the first focus. So there are groups that are popping up doing small things. Mm. By Greening Mildura, yeah. they do fantastic stuff they plant a lot of trees and a lot of areas and they do amazing things yeah great and that really environmentally is fantastic that was krista johnson chairperson of the sunraysia sustainability network now let's hear from some of the other people who were there that day. This is Gail, the coordinator of Greening Mildura. I found her, secateurs in hand, helping curb the enthusiasm of a grapevine that was growing over an outdoor meeting area. Tell us a little bit about Greening Mildura and what you guys do. We've been going since 2014 and it's a fantastic group of volunteers. We get together regularly. We have monthly meetings but we have a great program of replanting and last year we put in a lot of black box down in degraded areas and down in the Bob Corbell wetland again. The trees are looking fantastic. We've got a good watering program and a good team that does that. This year we hope to plant another 600 and do a shaded walk hopefully along the river more for people to walk and have shade. Over the years we've given away thousands of trees to the community and on National Tree Day we have a giveaway of about 500 trees each year and that's usually sponsored by someone like Mallee Catchment have been very kind to us and Fisher Stores used to support us and we go into a place like Woolworths and set up a trestle and the trees just disappear. <laughs> so it's, it's a fantastic time. 
Tell me, why do you see it as an important thing to do to green Mildura? Well, we live in the hottest, driest part of the state and I always say, where do we go on a hot day? We head for the nearest tree and for the environment, biodiversity and we've planted a lot of trees down in the Bob Corbell wetland too. We planted 5,000 trees down there three or four years ago now and even though you can't see them at the moment, there's a lot of those trees that have survived and are doing really well and continuing to plant and that's a hub for birds and kangaroos and lizards and things so it supports biodiversity as well. So, yeah, that's a little bit about Greening Mildura. <laughs> how do you afford all these trees and how do you find your volunteers and people to help? We're on Facebook and it's just word of mouth, I think, and people who are passionate about what we do and, and want to join us. We've had a lot of new members lately. It has been really heartening to see what's happened. And, yeah, we've applied for community grants and Mildura City Council have given us grants, but we're trying to raise money again. We need about another $6,000 to buy a bigger water tank. The one we've got at the moment is only 800 litres and we have to fill it up too often. <laughs> and when you're out in the heat and the hot sun to, you know, have volunteers standing around waiting for the tanker to fill up and come back again to start yeah. again. So we're currently trying to buy a, a bigger water tank of about 1,500 litres. So if anyone out there is happy to, to help our cause and to buy a bigger water tank, that'd be just fantastic. Down south, you don't have to worry about it so much, but up here, it's certainly vital to, for the tree's survival to water for at least the first two years. So, yeah, we find if, if we don't water, we lose too many trees. So we've really taken to watering what we have put in. And Mallee Catchment have helped as well with that. Lower Murray Water have really supported us and the Sunrise's Sustainability Network, where we are now, they've been very supportive as well. So it's a real community, and it's a great group of people that volunteer. And what makes you want to be part of it personally? One of my daughters encouraged, she said, stop talking about things and do something about it. So, yeah, it's just sort of grown, and we've had some fantastic things. We did have a great forum called Trees Equal Life about two years ago, and that was fantastic. We had over 100 at that. We've had garden competitions to engender spirit of community and gardening and so forth as well. And we've had other tree giveaways that we've had. We got a grant for $4,000, which was given away in trees to the community as well. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just important, I think, you know, for the animals and the kangaroos and the birds to support, you know, the more trees we have, the better. So that was Gail, coordinator of Greening Mildura. And now here is Brad, who is also from Greening Mildura. You're here volunteering with a bit of a clean-up around the community garden. What brings you to events like this? Well, mainly because Greening Mildura is closely associated with this organisation. They assist us in many ways, so today we're trying to return the (laughs) favour. And what have you been doing today? Well, pruning these vines and loading up all the cuttings into the trailer. Yeah, just generally cleaning up around this covered vine area really and it looks terrific now. What do you see the value of places like this and greening Mildura? What do you see the value of that is is in terms of the local environment and even climate change? I don't know if that's part of your reasoning. Well yeah it, it is. I mean we're keen to improve the environment anyway and with global warming we need well, we believe, Greening Mildura believes, that we need more trees to be planted and a bigger shade area. 
Mildura is extremely hot in the summertime. We get temperatures are up to 45 degrees and it's amazing when you walk under a tree on a hot day the temperature drops 10 to 15 degrees it just makes such a difference and we believe there should be more trees in this area particularly because of our hot climate. An area we're planting at the moment did have quite a forest of black box probably 150 years ago but they've all been cut down basically for either for firewood or for strainer posts for fruit blocks or wood for paddle steamers. There's quite a lot of forest along the river, the edge of the river, and there's another forest area down here, and we're trying to join the two up. That'll create a, a thoroughfare for birds and, and that sort of thing if we can, you know, create an area of trees that's four or five kilometres long. It'll, yeah, a little corridor. Yeah, a corridor, that's right. Yep. Alright, great. Yeah. Cool. And how long have you guys lived in Mildura? Oh, all my life. I was born at Mildura Base Hospital. Oh, wow. Yeah, still here, haven't moved very far. <laughs> Just across the road. That's right. <laughs> and yes. have you personally noticed the weather changing? Have you felt that yourself? Yeah, look, I, I haven't really. This summer, for instance, has been extremely cool. I can't believe it that we've actually nearly through to the end of summer and I think we've had three days over 40, which mm. is very unusual. So, yeah, it's it's hard to say what's happening. I'd have to... I'd have to believe what the scientists say about, you know, long-term temperature changes. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's interesting. It's one of those things. I think that's the problem. I was just interviewing someone else recently about the nature of this slow emergency, that climate change is a slow emergency. Yeah. And it's so hard to feel it in our bodies because right. year by year the seasons always change, the temperature's always changing. But exactly, we yeah. just do have to trust that data. <laughs> that's right. That's what it comes down yeah. to, yeah. So there you go, just a few of the people talking about just a few of the community-led initiatives happening in Mildura around climate and sustainability. And I know that there are groups like these in towns, cities and communities all around the world, which is quite amazing when you think about it. Don't forget that there are links to all of the things discussed, including the organisations and activities that have come up in these interviews today. And they're all available in the show notes at saltgrasspodcast.com. For those of you listening on Main FM or 3MDR, please note that you can listen to all episodes of Saltgrass on your preferred podcasting app. If you can't find us on your app, please let us know and we'll see what we can do to make it available there. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram and YouTube. And please subscribe to our email list to get reminders and updates about the show. Again, you can do that by going to saltgrasspodcast.com. This program was made possible with support from Main FM and the Community Broadcasting Foundation. Find out more at cbf.org.au. My name is Alison Hanley. Thanks for listening. Salt, salt, salt of the earth. Salt, 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 grass, Listen to all episodes of Saltgrass on your podcast app or at saltgrasspodcast.com.